Hello, listeners. Things are about to get interesting because we are shaking things up today. On this episode, we've got not only one, but two special guests. And if you're familiar with the board meetings on the Power Company Climbing Podcast, then get ready because a mega board meeting went down this summer between me, Caitlin, Chris Hampton, and Nate Drolet. And what did we talk shop about? You, of course, and the things you're doing to hold yourself back. So strap in for some dueling pianos. Welcome to our first ever crossover episode. You're listening to the Average Climber Podcast. It's amazing. It's so pretty. So beautiful. Yeah, Canadian Rockies are kind of superior somehow. Also, I met a bunch of Canadian teens. Actually, some friends met a bunch of Canadian teens in a hot tub in Canada one time, and they all pronounced it Calgary. What? Calgary. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. That's correct. They but were. I think they were, they were either trolling us yes. or they were trolling you. Yeah, yeah. Or they were absolutely. Hicks, so. <laughs> no, but I mean, and there are a lot of hicks in Calgary because they have the second biggest rodeo. Um, yeah, in the United States, so having a big that. rodeo means the whole place is hicks. <laughs> Shots fired. Yeah. Well, no, I mean like you know that's where you go when you take cattle north. You're taking them to that's where you go when you're a hick. The Calgary yeah. Stampede. Calgary. Yes. I don't know. I've been to the Stampede. Really? Yeah. My mom randomly the other day was like, "That's on my bucket list now," and I was like, "All right." That's- <laughs> It's a good one. It's right up there with the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. <laughs> Excellent. I'll tell her about say? that. The Houston Livestock <laughs> Show and Rodeo. Oh, I thought you said the Houston Last Duck. <laughs> last rodeo. Duck Show and Rodeo. <laughs> yeah. We only have one. The Last Duck Single sounds duck. like last actually a really Houston. sweet dive bar, though. The Last Duck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's a good, good band name. Mm-hmm. The Last Duck. I like that. All right. Fine. Let's get this thing started. <laughs> Excellent. Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton. This is Nate Rolay. I'm Caitlin Holmes. And I'm Lauren Abernathy. And together we form Jasmine Sullivan. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Get a hint. <laughs> 2010. Oh, never mind. Produced by Missy Elliott. Mm, okay. A song okay. called holding you down going in circles because see this is how nate feels every episode <laughs> surprise no no, yeah. no no y'all seem sad i just <laughs> like this is i'm just reading my notes right <laughs> now i'm like this is just it's just another day like, like oh my fine. god this is a question <laughs> Because that's what we're here to talk about. Climbers holding themselves back, holding themselves down, just spinning around in fucking circles. And (laughs) this is a special episode. We're here 
with the Average Climber podcast as well. Lauren and Caitlin have joined us here in Lander um, for what will essentially turn into, I presume, debauchery. <laughs> What's new? <laughs> <laughs> and shenanigans. Don't forget the shenanigans. <laughs> Uh, since I know this thing is going to go for like 17 hours because Lauren's got a whole list of fun facts over there, I'm sure. <laughs> and we're obviously going to get into conspiracy theories at some point. Um, let's just set this thing off. And Nate, I'm just going to have you get started because you've got a very serious face on, but very <laughs> unserious socks. Yes. Uh, my bacon and, bacon and eggs socks. <laughs> um, so am I, wait, are, am I introducing the concept? What am I? You can the concept yeah. of breakfast. tell us what it's all about the and then, then give us your first one and let's uh, roll. So our subject, if I'm getting this right, it is the top things that we see holding people back. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Did I study I for so. that's what we're here Did for I study you? for the right test? Four you points did. for Gryffindor. Okay. Cool. You did. <laughs> um, so I'll go ahead and start. My first one is, and each of us have two of them. Um, my first one is perspective. Ooh. And this can be seen in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, maybe the easiest one to give as an example is you can't tell a 20-year-old to have to look at things as far as playing the long game because they just don't know. Like, well, you, you can tell them. Oh, you, can, you can tell them all day long. <laughs> They're Based just too dumb years. to figure it out. <laughs> well, I mean, to them, the long, they are playing the long game. Like, you know, I remember when I was 20, it's like, oh, well, I'm training for a trip to Waco in three months. I'm playing the long game. Yeah. Like, and that's just, you know, that's how it is. You don't have the perspective of more years. Um, another good example of this is more seasoned climbers. I was coaching a guy just the other day. He's been climbing 20 years. And he just, it's hard for him to imagine that 513 is possible because that was so elite mm. at that time. When he started climbing, you climbed 13A, you were a sponsored rock climber. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, I work with him. I'm like, yeah, you could do it like tomorrow. But in his mind, he's so tied to this idea that that is elite. Um, and that's super common. You know, I remember when I first started climbing, I never saw anything harder than V8 in a gym. And it would be one problem might as well have just been impossible. Like, yeah. you know, they just put foot jibs on the wrong way. They were like, I think this is V8. We don't yeah. really know. <laughs> There's several spotlights shining on that boulder. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. No one ever tries it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I remember first time I ever went to a gym that had a V10 tag. I was like, oh, okay, Chris Sharma in town? What's going on here? <laughs> um, but now, you know, you look at climbers and people get good so fast. And it's really funny to me. There is this perspective that I keep hearing where people are like, well, you know, coaches are just so much better and training so much better than it used to be. And that's why people get good so fast. And as, love as, I, as much as I would love to toot my own horn and be like, yes, I am so great at my job that you really, here I am. you know. <laughs> the rate at which the whole population of everywhere is just yeah. getting better so much fast because coaches are here. <laughs> All boats lift with a rising tide and I am that tide. <laughs> is I am what the I'm ocean. trying to say. I am the ocean. I am all. <laughs> but I don't buy it. Like, look, train, like, yeah, training's getting better. We're getting smarter. Um, I hope. I, I truly believe we're getting better, but... Uh, I debate that sometimes. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you look at the information that's been around for a long time, there's been great information for a long time. People haven't always bought into it. And a lot of this was perspective. There was a time when 
oh, you want to get better at rock climbing? You rock climb. Like there was this uh, blog post from Sonny Trotter and he talked about going to the gym with a bunch of strong climbers, including Dave Graham. And all of them burnt off Dave. I mean, like everything they did in the gym, campusing, and then, you know, they go out rock climbing the next day and Dave like sent 14 C second go. Right. And they're all projecting 13 plus. Right. Like, and he was like, okay, this clearly shows it's not about physical strength. But this was also because this was a time when everyone would just rock climbed a lot, where now you can look around and be like, no, physical strength makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, there's still, we just have a new perspective. Um, but I do think that, you know, going back, talking about uh, coaches and training is the reason why things are getting better. It's like, no, no, it's not. You know, that's not why people walk into the gym and just random dude bros will climb like V6 in their first year. It's not because they're listening to the Power Company podcast or Average Climber podcast. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of course it is. Like, it's just, you go in and suddenly, oh, there's 20 V10 climbers in here. There are tags that go up to V11. I mean, I got a client who's doing remote work in Fargo right now. And he was like, yeah, they have like three V10s in here mm -hmm. and a moon board, which goes up to whatever you want. Right. Like, <laughs> That's wild. This gym in Fargo is more stacked than the biggest gym in Houston when I started climbing, yeah. without question. And I think that's amazing. And I think that being able to take a step back wherever you are, because I do think this holds people back in trying to take in these different perspectives, looking through different lenses. You know, if you think, hey, everyone around me like climbs 512 and we think 513 is the hardest thing in the world, Man, go climb at the red. You'll see, go climb there in the fall. You'll see a hundred people just warming up on 513. And you're like, oh, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe I've just put it in my head that this is the case. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the same thing. If you think that you're like, oh, well, I'm too stressed. You know, this is a common thing. I think with people like in their late 20s, mid to late 20s, or honestly, people when they first go to college, they're like, I have no time for anything. I'm so stressed. And it's because, you know, they're out of high school and they had literally nothing to do before then. But now they're just like, <laughs> I'm so stressed. I'm so busy. I can't do anything. And then, you know, you talk to these same people 10 years ago and they're like, I have no clue what I did with that free time. Man, I had yeah. so much time. How did I think I was stressed? I suddenly have 10 more things on my plate and I get so much more done. And it's perspective. Do you think there's a way to make sure you're getting those perspectives? Like, is it something like you have to lean into... Um, you know, putting yourself in situations with better climbers, stronger climbers. Uh, what do you think the best way to get that kind of a wider perspective is? I think different people, different, like different stories. Um, you know, I do believe that being around other people is super helpful. You know, when you spend time with someone who has no time and they have to be focused, you're like, oh, they get a lot done. I could, I could benefit from that. You spend time with people who, you know, I love climbing around and coaching climbers who are like in their forties and fifties. Cause a lot of them start to hit this groove where they're like, you know what? I've had a lot of stress before. Suddenly they have a stressful month. They're like, you know what? It's okay. This isn't going to end my career. It's not the end of the world. I'm going to keep going. But they also kind of understand that there's a limit to time. Like the clock is counting. Mm -hmm. And they suddenly feel that more than most other people, like definitely in your 20s and 30s. And so they say, hey, I'm not going to let these things stress me out so much, but I'm going to keep my foot on the gas. 
So spending time with people like that, man, spending time around young kids who just yeah. don't know any better. They're like, oh, I want to go try and climb V12 next year. Yeah. Like, and they just go after it. And it's like, don't you know you can't do that? There are rules. <laughs> You'll <laughs> maybe fail and then be upset about it and it'll be bad. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I think other people, amazing way. But also whenever you hear something that contradicts something that you believe, um, and I do this as a coach all the time, Anytime I hear another coach say something or I hear a climber say something that I don't agree with, instead of just being like, uh, I don't think they're right, I think, what is the lens they're looking through? Mm. Mm. Because it's probably like, yeah. chances are they're probably correct. I'm sure that's correct for them. Like, that's why they're saying it. Um, and it might be correct for the people that they're around or it's, if it's a coach, you know, there's a subsection of people that they work with and it might be very true for them. So I want to know, why is it you say that? Because I don't see that but clearly your perspective shows you that this is truth. So yeah. what is that? And I think that's true for climbing as well. If someone's like, Hey, I, you know, I don't like training more than once a week and I just climb outside otherwise, and I keep getting better. You may be like, well, that's not true. I need, you need to moonboard three days a week and you need to do this and I'm getting better doing this. You, you know, take a step back. It's like, Hey, we're different people. Why does that benefit you? Mm -hmm. What do you get out of that? Is there something I could get out of that? Yeah, I think questioning your assumptions is super important. Um, one of the ones that I see, you know, in in this way, they're they're like blocking their own perspective growth. Is this whole like, oh, I don't go to that crag because that's like where the elite climbers go. That's where oh, all the yeah. cool climbers mm -hmm. go, and yeah. you know, there's this bad attitude at that crag. What I've found most of the time is that going to those crags is way more relaxed and chill than the like. 511 trying to climb 512 crag yeah there's so much less ego at the the crag where there's a bunch of you know really good rock climbers and going there can really open up your perspective too because you see people being totally willing to just fail all day long and there's no ego involved with it and people will cheer for people who are just trying hard whether they send or not yeah you know? so if you're one of those people who has that, that frankly, absolutely wrong attitude, you know, <laughs> try and switch that around. It might open up some doors for you. Yeah. I, I agree. I remember, I, Nate, I went to your um, projecting tactics clinic last year. Oh, and yeah. I remember. I made a funny joke at that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I did. The list is long. People are like, you said this. And I'm like, did I? That's fun that I did that. But I remember I remember talking about you you made us all uh practice going up to like what appeared to be an intimidating crew below your project. It was me. I was the Yeah, you were like <laughs> come up here and practice and, and yeah. you know, try to get in line and stuff and he made everyone do it and it was great. And I've actually made athletes do this to me like over Zoom. I'm like, you're getting on that freaking rock climb. But I remember you saying something like, you know, at cert at a certain point, like with crags with higher grades people that are there have had to make it through a projecting process and have had to go yeah. through failure and success more so than perhaps the cracking 511 plus 512 level, because yeah. that is oftentimes where people just set a benchmark and they're like, this is the first time they really like wail on something. And then you go to, you know, a crag that maybe has like slightly higher grades or just people that are more seasoned at projecting and, you know, sucking and succeeding. And it's definitely a can be a different attitude. I mean, I've definitely been to crags where the atmosphere does feel aggressive, but at the For same sure. time, it could just be, I always challenge people, like it could just be your impression of it because yeah. you feel intimidated. Like there might be someone there that's a jerk. It's very possible. It can happen, but it also could yeah. be that 
you're shaping your reality of the situation beyond what it actually is. So I'll tell you Absolutely. one thing, it's pretty fucking rare. You're gonna find a hammock at a crag with a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> Truth. Mm. But yeah, I like you know what you were saying as far as like that kind of five eleven, what y'all are both saying about five eleven, five twelve range. You know, I think there's almost these like teenage years that we all go through. <laughs> oh boy. <Yeah>. Big facts. <laughs> so back when I was in high school, uh anytime I'd be just super stubborn and be arguing with my dad, at a certain point he would just kind of shrug his shoulders and say, you know, I remember when I was a teenager and knew everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that one sinks in a little more year by year. Um because yeah. you can't argue. He and he would just be like, you know, okay. And he just kind of walk off with that. And and that we all go through that with climbing. We go through it with yeah. everything where you hit a point and you're like, no, I fucking got it. I know what I'm talking about. Totally. And for a lot of people, like, yeah, in climbing, like you'll see that in that like 512 sometimes. I mean, depending on how fast people get there, a lot of times it's in that like two to five years of climbing range where it's like, you know what? I've been around the block. I know what's up. Yeah. Like I've seen it. <laughs> and everyone hits it at different points, but there's this weird, it's like that Dunning-Kruger effect. Mm-hmm. We don't know what we don't know. And, exactly. And then it just takes like you step outside your little bubble and get a new perspective and you're like, oh, I'm not good at this and I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so important to keep broadening that perspective. <laughs> um, let's move on to Caitlin, see what you have. And the way this is, you know, we are, we're all coming from our own different perspectives. Um, Nate, Lauren, and I all as climbing coaches, uh, trainers, Caitlin as a nutritionist. So I'm I'm really interested to hear what <laughs> what's holding us back nutrition wise because Roast I'm going to be guilty <laughs> of all of this. One of the <clears throat> things that when I was talking to Lauren about like, well, yeah, what does hold us back? She's like, well, the same things you always say. And I'm like, yeah, but that can't be holding us back anymore, right? <laughs> uh, I've like, said it four times. How have they not listened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my perspective, you know, <laughs> but it is true when I, I work with a lot of climbers and at varying levels, varying disciplines. And the first thing that we always talk about is just bare minimum eating enough. Mm. and that's just, you know, it comes from, okay, are are you training? Are you just climbing more? You know, what's, what are you doing to actively engage in climbing? Because I, I like to joke that with greater power comes a greater electricity bill and people are like, well, yeah, but you know, I'm not doing that much. I'm, I'm only climbing, you know, eight days out of seven days a week. And <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm really not doing anything. I'm only sending like V6s in the gym. And I'm like, well, how's your recovery? Do you have any injuries? What's going on? I just on? have a finger injury on and off every three months for yeah. my whole really life. Really bizarre. I'm really it's just because I'm old. I'm like, you're 29. Anyways, <laughs> this is not about me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is strange because I think a lot of climbers think that they need to eat less or maybe they've just not eaten enough for a long time. And then they get into this sport that a lot of us don't necessarily, or maybe it's, it's just a newer sport. So we don't really connect it to, okay, I climb, therefore I'm an athlete. A lot of people are like, Oh, what a novel concept. Mm. I'm not an athlete, (laughs) but they're going to the gym for the same purpose of getting better at climbing you know, periodized throughout 
the week. So they are just by nature of that definition an athlete. So are you engaging in athletics? Yeah. Yeah. So are you eating like an athlete? Well, nine times out of 10, no. And a lot of people will, you know, weight loss is a whole other topic, but they'll think, oh, okay, well, I'll just eat what my fitness pal tells me is the bare minimum. And (sighs) surprise, lots of issues come out of that. So it just... It is really shocking that, yeah, we're not eating more when we're engaging in such a calorie intensive sport. Even if you're just, you know, hopping on a boulder 18 times in a day and you're like, I didn't, I didn't send, so I didn't earn it. It's like, Mm. "Mm." yeah, you just said something that made me go down this rabbit hole. I had (laughs) never considered. Um, We see it in coaching a lot where people will look at a grade and not look at it relative to themselves and their energy expenditure. And they're just like, well, it's not a very big grade, mm-hmm. you know, do, do people do that with food as well? Like, well, this isn't a very hard grade, so I can't be spending much energy. Exactly. Yeah. I see that a lot. People will just say, oh, you know, well, I'm, I'm still pretty new or we had a lot of people come by our booth this weekend and say, well, I'm a, I'm a below average climber. So (laughs) I'm like, okay, well, you're still part of the average, (laughs) but also (laughs) if you're still, you know, you're going to the gym, say you're just having a mileage day on V zeros, you're still expending a lot of calories and moving your body in unique ways. It's not as if, you know, you're doing a lot of the same workouts in the gym, let's say, and you build those adaptations. But when you're climbing, you're you're moving different body parts in different ways, unique ways every single time you climb, whether it's V0 or V12. So relative to each person, you're still expending those calories, even if you have adaptations in climbing. So to say, you know, at any level, you don't, deserve to eat more or you have to earn more, even if the climb, you know, climbing day you have is not at your limit. It's, it just gets kind of murky and confusing. There's a lot of misinformation out there. That's so funny. I, I had never connected it to nutrition, but climbers have a real problem with (laughs) like seeing things relative to them. They Mm -hmm. almost always look at it relative to like the greater you know, arc of what climbing grades can be. (laughs) Like I I had a conversation with Alex Honnold that was two hours of me reminding him, you are not Alex Magos. He kept comparing himself. Well, yeah, but you know, Alex Magos warms up on 14C. Why can't I even do 14C? And I'm like, mm. you're not Alex Magos. You're different Alex. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I should be able to warm up on my hardest things. I'm like, that's not his hardest thing. That's not that hard for him. That's <laughs> right. why he can warm up on it, you know? <laughs> well, it's funny you bring up Alex Honnold because I, I recently listened to a podcast with him on it and he mentioned something about nutrition being a small percent improvement for climbers. Mm. And I was like, Hold on, you're, <laughs> you're Alex Honnold who maybe has a different set of needs. Maybe you've already right. dialed in your nutrition. But yeah. I know for me, when I started climbing, I was horribly underfueled, just didn't recover, felt really lethargic all the time, probably exposed myself to more injuries than I remember at this point. But it was just a lot of things happening at once. And 
the first thing I did instead of eating more, I actually cut back because I wanted to look like quote climber typical body. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well that's backwards because when you're climbing in order to put on muscle, to get stronger, to minimize recoveries, you actually have to eat more. You have to support what you're doing. Right. Do you think people ever get confused? Because I always joke about that. One of the reasons I love rock climbing is because of how much sitting is involved. But do you think people ever (laughs) get confused? Because truly, if you're doing a quality, you know, if it's a power oriented or like difficult bouldering session, you should theoretically be doing a lot of sitting. And do you think that ever confuses people with Mm -hmm. how much to fuel? Because even though you're having these explosive, you know, movements Mm, and trying really hard, you are still sitting a lot and are inactive outside and Mm -hmm. inside. So do you think that ever, because if you've ever gone to a group fitness class, it's like, keep moving till you vomit. Otherwise you're doing it wrong. That's that's the thing. It's Mm -hmm. like the, the general public who don't believe that they're athletes, when they think of something that is athletic, they think of endurance. Right. They think and of especially doing something you've... where you're about to throw up because you've been doing it for so long as if, you know, a, a high jumper is not an athlete or something. Mm, right. Yeah. It's when you think too of people, or this is what I hear oftentimes is that if people are, say, if they sent their project, they're like, now I get to have my ice cream right, versus right. the climber who's giving it five, six burns, and then they go home feeling defeated and they don't feel like they've earned that recovery meal, recovery snack, right. treat, whatever it is. It's it's like a really weird disconnect with how we feel, how we feel about our bodies, how connected we are. In a sport that's so body connection, we're just not, a lot of us don't fuel enough. You just alluded to it and then skipped right over it. Can we talk about where ice cream sits in the pantheon of recovery meals? Yes. <laughs> what if I'm sad and I'm eating ice cream because I didn't send? You're recovering. I'm You're recovering, recovering emotionally, yeah. emotionally and, and physically. physically. Okay. Exactly. Okay, finish each other's sentences. Cute. Cute. Finish each other's sandwiches. Sentences. Shit. Blew it. We did yesterday. Lauren actually finished my sandwich uh, yesterday. Yeah, because so. I left my... Actually, no, this is perfect that we're recording this right now because even though I literally sit there while Caitlin teaches nutrition all the time, I've worked with her extensively. She still comes to visit and she's like, Lauren, stop working and eat breakfast. She, Caitlin <laughs> made me scrambled eggs this morning. Yeah. It's great when she visits. I'm, I'm a catastrophe <clears throat> sometimes. I'm good. It's good to have me around <laughs> when you're like, what's holding people back? What did Lauren do yesterday? <laughs> yeah, I, I, that resonates with me. There are a lot of days where I'm like, oh, I'm going to go train at like two. And then it's like 1.30 and I'm like, oh, oh no. I haven't eaten anything. <laughs> I mean, I do it too. I feel like, oh, I have all the information at my fingertips and it'll be two o'clock and I'm having a really grumpy afternoon, really lethargic. And I'm like, hmm, last time I ate was, oh, 7.30 this morning. All right. Makes sense. So mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's a learning process. But to your question about ice cream, I think. Yeah, let's get back to that. Let's get back to that. So when, I mean, I've worked with a lot of uh, runners as well, a lot of uh, marathon distance runners. And they always say the first thing I have after my race is ice cream because I really want to replenish those calories. And I'm like, that's interesting. We often in climbing, I 
really never hear that, but mm. I do think it has its place. I mean, it does have carbs, fat, and protein. Am I saying you should have that in it on its own without additional well-balanced macros coming in from like a whole meal? Well, probably not, but it should probably be an addition. It can be, you know, have your well-balanced recovery meal and your ice cream. You can mm. even have it if it's not part of recovery, but in terms of recovery, it does provide nutrients. Like even, you know, think of a classic food that we might consider, you know, not healthy with, I'm doing air quotes and that's the air quote <laughs> sound. That is our air quote sound. It is. <laughs> but like, think about a Twinkie. People are like, oh, well that's not healthy, but it's not inherently bad. It provides energy. It provides calories. It's are, delicious. It's delicious. Are there it's more? Fun to say. Yeah, they might last a long time. Maybe they don't expire. I don't know. There's a lot of research on that. <laughs> They'll preserve you from the inside out. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's, you know, it, it is a food that provides energy. And there are absolutely foods that are more nutrient dense. Sure. But it doesn't mean you have to exclude those to be healthy, in recovery, um, feeling good or comfortable in your skin. There's, there are places for a lot of foods in our diet. I like it. And I need to take that advice too. So <laughs> eat your ice cream, Chris. <laughs> Lauren, what you got? Ooh, okay. So this I think holds a lot of people back. So you don't treat your mindset problems like skills to practice. Mm. I think it's can be really easy to have a growth mindset about getting better at certain types of moves or getting better at certain types of climbing. But I think it can be harder to take the phrase, you know, something like, I'm just a scared rock climber or something like yeah. that. Or yeah. I just will always compare myself to other climbers or I'm never going to be able to climb in front of other people comfortably and just take a phrase like that and be like, well, that's just how my brain is. Can't do anything about that. So that sucks. And then never work on it. Yeah, the stories we tell ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you have, especially if you have like, I think some common mindset issues and people know, but you know, if you have like a major fear of falling or fear of exposure or things like that, or if you have a major fear of climbing in front of others, or if you're really afraid of failure and that's part of why you never get on things that challenge you or that might make you quote, look silly and you don't, you know, take actionable steps over time to work on them. They're never going to get better. And no matter how much stronger you get or all these things, if you don't work on these problems that are really holding you back, it's going to be an uphill battle when you're trying to send harder things. Yeah. Know? And it can be really insidious too totally. in that like the, the phrases don't have to be, I don't do this or I'm not good at this. It can even be, I'm a crimp climber. Yeah. Mm. Therefore, I don't climb on slopers. Yep. Or I can't do that sloper boulder because I'm a good crimp climber. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, it, those or, stories are so fucking powerful. I know. And if you don't realize that they're stories and they aren't things that you can change. And I think the, the biggest thing with this stuff, I was going to give a tip, is like figure out some kind of action plan. I don't know if it's a course. I don't know if it's a book. It's really going to depend on what it is. But you need to have habits similar. You need to have like a habit or something that you develop and work on like in line with your training. Like for example, if someone has, you know, 
major issues with following that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Part of their training, I literally will put it in the app and I'll be like, you're going to record how many practice falls you took today. And I also want you to like write down in the comments how kind of scared you were on a scale of one to 10. It's almost mm-hmm. like the rate of perceived exertion of fear because I think it's really like hangboarding or doing hard boulders, whatever it is. That's super measurable. Also, I'm an ex-engineer. I guess I still have a degree. I'm an engineer, whatever. And I'm like, I like data. I like You're graphs. Coaching and I think, engineer. Coaching engineer. And I'm like, keep track of this stuff because it's going to feel, sometimes it's really hard to quantify that these things are getting better too. So I think, you know, that's a good actionable tip that it's like, come up with some system that works for you for actively doing things. You know, if it's fear of climbing in front of other people, like this used to totally be me. I would consciously stay behind whatever wall got reset be like everyone's over on the new set Mm. but i just stay one set behind so i'm climbing the new set that everyone's moved on from from two (laughs) weeks ago so i never your reset is a week behind yeah my reset's a week behind everyone else's so that i didn't have to climb in front of like everyone climbing together it was because i was so afraid of like looking silly or whatever but you kind of got to get over it because someday you're going to have to try hard at a crowded loud crag and you don't want your your burns on whatever it is you're trying to climb to be mitigated or ruined by the fact that you're so stressed out that you're climbing in front of other people. And a lot of this is easier said than done. And it's going to be something gradual, perhaps over years that you're going to have to work on. But recognizing, you know, mindset pitfalls or things that are really trapping you and making some kind of actionable, measurable plan to work on them is something I don't see a lot of people doing. And I think it's big time holding a lot of people back. Yeah, I I fully agree. And you know, one of the tips that I think helps folks as well is like go in with that plan that you're talking about. And before you do any before there's any rock climbing that happens, you know, say that to your partner. Like Yeah. Like today, you know, if it's I'm I'm trying not to just say take whenever I'm scared or whatever, let your partner know that. Because if given the option, you're going to very often want to bail out. Totally. Back into that comfortable space. Right. Exactly. And the minute you do that, that that discomfort has won for the day. And it's going to be that much harder every time you give in to to break out of that. Absolutely. And I also think any good climbing partner, emphasis on good, is going to be supporting you in that. Especially if, you know, people like to be part of a team. So if you just made someone part of your team for getting better at a certain skill, and probably this is a partner you climb with a lot. So if you're getting better at a certain skill, they're going to benefit from that in some way too. Totally. So they're going to be supporting you and behind that. And especially I think it can feel so good to admit that there's something that we're uncomfortable with mm-hmm. because I think shame can really prevent us from, mm-hmm. you know, actually taking action on anything because we're so ashamed to even talk about that we're scared or we're ashamed to say, wow, I don't really like climbing on slopey routes because I climb four grades lower on these versus like the crimpy things I'm comfortable with. So I think admitting that, you know, saying it's something I'm working on and getting your partner involved in that way can be really helpful too. So that's a very good tip, Chris. Yeah, and it can be, it doesn't have to be these like really defined things like I'm scared of falling or, you know, like you were mentioning, recognizing that you're you're the one climbing on the old set over here (laughs) while everybody else is having fun (laughs) over here, you know, finding what the root of that problem is and then gradually just building into being better at it. I've, I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but there was a whole season in the red where I wrote into my training program, you have to be one of the last people awake 
or at the campfire at Miguel's. And huh. you cannot have a partner lined up before you get there. Because I was really good at lining up partners. I was really bad at figuring it out on the fly mm. and shit would fall apart occasionally. Mm. And I'm like, I-, I need to get better at that. So, yeah, because if like the thing falling apart <clears throat> made you so stressed out, you couldn't rock climb the whole exactly. day. Yeah, that's a good skill. I would just on. go home. Like, okay, or not go to the red at all Whoa. if things fell apart. I'm like, I got to get better at this shit. You know? Yeah. I think it's, I like that you translated that from just climbing to other areas of your life too. It's like, what can I bring into this experience and make changes that Mm -hmm. are, you know, applicable, but also work for me in this other realm? Like I, a couple weekends ago, I was having, I, what I'm dubbing, um, an emo time on (laughs) some routes (laughs) and my partner asked me, okay, well, did you, you know, prep for it when you went into the climb? Were you doing your normal breathing thought exercise awareness of where you were at today? Like you do with everything else. And I go, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, why wouldn't you bring that into climbing? It's like, I just, great question. Love where your head's at. (laughs) Yeah. Never thought about that before. Uh, (laughs) But I, yeah, I agree. I think there's there are just a lot of areas that that we can start to bring that awareness to. And if we aren't sure of it initially, I think giving ourselves the time and space to slow down and think about it is something I don't, I mean, yeah. when do we do that that often in the moment? Yeah. I also think, I guess one of the last things I'll say about this is that I think there might be things where you just think it's normal that are actually a gigantic pain in the ass for you. And you just think like, oh, well, that's just normal. That's fine. And there's a lot of things where it doesn't necessarily need to be like that. Like similar to how I used to avoid, you know, the new set or whatever. When it came to climbing, just something that I would always do is think about, oh, how can I make sure, I mean, crowds are one thing, but I would be like, how can I make sure that I'm at this crag or that I'm picking projects where there won't be a lot of people? And it would be... Something, you know, and to some degree, this is advantageous because less people, more burns, blah, blah, blah. It's math, more attempts, more sending, yada, yada. But, you know, it was kind of a crutch where it was like I was avoiding climbing in front of other people because it stressed me out. And I just didn't, I just thought it was like a normal way to optimize my time outside. But then when I dug a little deeper, I was like, oh, you're really afraid of like failing or like looking silly in Mm -hmm. front of other people. And that causes you a lot of distress. So, yeah, if there's anything where you're like, that's just how I am. It's fine. And dig a little yeah. deeper and be like, mm, maybe that is like a deeper mindset issue that I really could spend some time working through. Also get a therapist if you can. There's some, <laughs> athlete, I swear to God, I joke about this, but there's some athletes where I'm like, you needed six months of therapy before we started a training plan. Like, you didn't, there's you didn't know that here. was what your actual job was <laughs> going to be. No, <laughs> oh my God. I could have told you that. Yeah, one. I know. I, I, you're right. But sometimes I'm like, I think therapy would have been like a good prerequisite before yeah. you started tankboarding. I don't know. It's a wild operation. No, I think that sometimes. digging deeper is super super important it's really easy to convince ourselves this is just what i like yeah you know yeah and especially the more you know like we see i see this all the time in training like it's the people who know the most about training that can tell the best lies (laughs) like you tell you can tell me any training program any exercise any way to get better at rock climbing i can tell you right now why it's an incredible idea i think we did this we like joked about this when we were at your clinic last year and i was like 
Nate, explain to me why eating a banana while holding a kettlebell in your right hand with one leg up is good. And then you came up, yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, bananas are carbs. You're getting 20 to 25 grams of carbohydrates, which you need during a workout. Um, This is also contralateral training. You're working ankle stability, which let's be honest, in this current day and age of rock climbing, we're really focused on the hands, wrists, shoulders, elbows. More ankles. How much are we really doing for our feet? And you were barefoot at the time. Yeah. Um, These are loaded carries. That So you've got down at your side, that's going to help you be just more supported through your midsection. You're creating this good, strong posture. Um, I mean, we have yeah. carbs, core <clears throat> stability, ankle stability, and grip strength in one hand, all grip in strength. one simple exercise. It's excellent. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> coordination, let's be honest. Uh, you have limb independence because <laughs> all four limbs are doing something different in this moment. <laughs> This is, a, I mean, I, I don't know why we don't have an ebook on it. <laughs> more, more kettlebell suitcase carries on one leg with bananas. We yes. should end the podcast now. This is yeah. good yeah. advice. But commit. <laughs> to go back to <laughs> commit, exactly. Commit. But the more you know, the easier it is to tell yourself some great lies. Like you can be like, oh no, I go to empty crags because I can get on my project more. No one's in front of me. This is yeah. great. It's not, I have anxiety in front of other people while I try and perform. No, and it's, no yeah. it's definitely just an optimization thing, not, yeah, a, not an issue I need to work this on. Is, I'm an engineer. I am smarter. Optimization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's not that I don't like eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> you should see me at the grocery store. Oh, my God. I have a good cilantro story about the grocery store. It's a little irrelevant, but I'm going to tell it because we're in too deep now. Um, I sometimes am really like after a long day of doing, talking to people on the internet and coaching, I'm pretty extroverted, but like, you know, you need time, right? So I have my headphones in. I've just showered. I look like a swamp dog and I'm at the checkout and I look over and I'm like, I've almost made it through. No one has spoken to me. I am almost out of here without having to talk to a human being. And I feel a presence over my shoulder and I turn around, self-checkout. Let's, no one should be helping me because self-checkout. <laughs> turn around. One of the workers, while my podcast is in, has picked up my cilantro. And he goes, is this cilantro or parsley? And I was like, it's cilantro. And he's like, can I type the code in for you? And I was like, no. And he's like, but I know all the codes. And then I was like, I'm good. He reaches over me, types the code in anyway, and just wow. like crotches over my reach. And I was like, Thank you. And then I just put my headphones in. And I was like, that was so violent. You just touched my produce. <laughs> like, what the hell? Last night when you came to my house for tacos, did you just avoid the cilantro because of the trauma involved? <laughs> no, I still have a good relationship. It was, at least it was in the bunch. So now when it's like chopped up for taco toppings, it doesn't, it's not as triggering. So you made peace with it. You yeah. know, you didn't set expectations and yeah. you just yeah. you moved on. Exactly. Good but times. in any case, if you work at a grocery store, just don't fucking do that. <laughs> I don't care that you know the codes. It takes me two seconds to type in C-I-L, cilantro, and then I'm out of there and I can keep listening to murder podcasts. So <laughs> leave me alone. And oh they're, they're actually how-tos and they're not true crimes. Just, just for anyone who wants to know. <laughs> Touch my cilantro, you watch your tires later. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded really authentic. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Chris Hampton, what is yours? Uh, mine sort of plays off what you were just talking about, and that's all the shiny new things that are mm. 
on the Instagrams. And, you know, I'm going to blame a lot of the coaches for this, frankly. Um, you know, we're just as much to blame as anybody else. You you have this exciting thing you want to tell everybody about, but all it does is add to the 478 other ways we can train our fingers. And, and then you see a client come in who's like, oh, I do these 500 finger strength workouts every week. What do you think? You know? <laughs> It's all the shiny new shit just derails so many people. Yeah. How many times have you, any of you, had people email you and list like 175 things they're doing every week and then say, what do I need to add to make it better? Yeah. I have the opposite. People always ask me, what should I subtract? But. Yeah, you when you're talking food, mm-hmm. exactly. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, people want to suffer. How can I add more way. diet? Yeah, to how my can diet? I add more diet? How do I add more subtract, diet? Add more filters <laughs> of what not to eat. Subtract fun and also <clears throat> kill myself in the process. And also how? somehow love that I'm doing it too. Yes. Yeah. How can I suffer the most and optimize the suffering? Yeah. Yeah, and I think in the nutrition world it's like there's all these new shiny diets, you know, new mm-hmm. shiny ways to eat. And even though it's worked for a long time just to eat well, we have to have all these exciting new diets with fun names and, right. you know, and it's the same way with, with physical training. Yeah. Yeah. All the new shit is the best shit, of course. Yeah, the basics suck. Those are canceled. Yeah. Move on. That's what they feel like. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely had, like, I've talked to other coaches who are like, someone sent me an email that they didn't like their program because it didn't have anything specific or complicated enough. And I'm like, there's a reason why basically in every professional sport, there's some form of deadlifting because it works. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just. Yeah, one of our coaches recently had a client who complained and wanted a refund because their current plan just looked like a progression of their former plan. (laughs) My God. God. And I was like, isn't the whole goal here to make progress? (laughs) Yeah. Then it should look like a progression. Oh, yeah. No, I've gotten that. And someone was like, so are my sessions going to change every week? And I was like, no. And the fun (laughs) part is actually in four to six weeks, they'll still look pretty similar, but a little harder. And then it'll actually work instead of, yeah. Whatever you were planning on doing. Exactly. So, yeah. Not like a rebrand or something. No. Wait. I remember talking to, so I work with Blake of the power company. Shout out, Blake. Thanks, Blake. Um, but I remember talking to Blake about coaching once and he was like, sometimes I just change the names of things like a little <laughs> yeah. bit more. Like yeah. it really is rebranding. <laughs> just, but like it works. I see him do it to me and I'm like, thank you. This different version of still boulders on the minute is now hard boulder intervals. Yes. So it's different now. That's why my exercises keep changing names. <laughs> it's so true. I totally do it. To my athletes listening, I'm sorry. I'm doing this to you right now. But sorry, it's helpful, sorry, I promise. Sorry. I even know when it's happening to me and I still like it. So, Man, it's funny. I, uh, I got a client who, this is back when I was in Houston and I was coaching him both in person as well as doing the remote. So I was doing his remote program writing and then we worked together twice a month, um, which was awesome. And like, I love being able to work with people in person. So this is a really cool way to do things. And it was really funny. He, so we started working together. He was climbing around like V4, V5, uh, mostly in the gym, would go outside occasionally, but not much. 
one year later, he went out and on a three-day trip did, I want to say like four V8s and like, I don't know, six V7s. Damn. All outside. And like, I mean, this is a guy who's climbing 10 or less days outside a year. Amazing progress. And this is in one year. And we had probably only done, I think, two, three-month programs in that first year. And I kind of gave him guidance in between. And so he went on this trip and he's like, cool, let's do another program. And it's funny because I wrote it for him. And we talked like in our next in-person session, he was like, you know, I was honestly like a little bummed because it just felt a lot like what we've already been doing. He's like, and then I talked with my wife and she reminded me that I've just had the best progress of my life because he had already been climbing like, I don't know, seven, eight years. So this wasn't like brand new gains that he was seeing. He was like, she reminded me I've just been getting better month after month and I should not think that it should change because that would be weird. Yeah. yeah. I was like, well, I'm glad you came. I'm glad we talked about this. And I'm glad, uh, you know, you came to that conclusion as well. And he just keeps getting stronger and better. Like, and we're doing the same, essentially the same thing. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. exactly. Like, I remember I had an athlete, like similar thing. These are the athletes that I love working with because after you like with someone for a long time, they're like, oh, sweet. And then it becomes more collaborative and it's really fun. But this athlete had had like a rock star bouldering season and he was like, whatever we did before that, where I just smashed the world, can we do that again? And then I was like, yes, makes my life easy because (laughs) I can go in and just be like, what were we doing? Okay, cool. We'll tweak a few things to like make it make a little more sense, but worked again, sent his first B9 and I was like, sick. Yeah. I mean, sometimes eventually I think you will have to change things up, but if the gains have not dried up yet with what you're doing, like finding something that works is pretty glorious. So... Yeah, making Keep gains is it. hard. Yeah. If you find a thing that works, don't stop doing it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't trade it out for the shiny new shit. I mean, that's like the classic Dan John line. It works so good, I stopped doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, any- don't stop taking your antibiotics early and keep doing your training if it's working. Yeah. PSA. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with round two. For decades, climbing advice at the crag has been presented in this manner. Bruh, falling isn't scary. Like, what are you whining about? Featuring novel ideas related to your effort levels. Hey bruh, have you tried trying harder? And effective evidence-based recommendations on relaxation techniques. Dude bruh, I think it'd be more chill if you could just like chill. And of course, it has featured positive encouragement like this from friends and peers. Just take the whip, brah! But if you have found these lines of reasoning to be largely unhelpful, yeah, I'm not surprised. Turns out, learning to develop a healthy, manageable relationship with fear is a little bit more complicated than just taking the whip, brah. But the good news is, these are all skills you can learn with some good effort and practice. So if you're a sport climber who's climbing at the 510-511 level, and you're tired of mental struggles impeding your climbing progress, I've got something you're going to like. Enter Camp 512, a six-week group program designed to help you identify gaps in your outdoor skill set and learn to fill them in. Kiss the dude bruh advice goodbye. We've got real work to do. Fall 22, Camp 512 starts on November 7th. You can learn more about Camp 512 by heading to the link in our show notes. 
Sport climbing season is coming fast. Got a Nemesis route you need to clip chains on? For over a decade, we've helped climbers prepare for their goals. We've seen patterns emerge, showing what's most effective for each level of climber. Those patterns became our proven plans, a training system that you can follow from complete beginner to 514 and beyond. With workouts geared toward your goals and focused on improving not only strength and power, but tactics and mindset as well, each proven plan comes with a built-in group chat and an option to work directly with one of our coaches. We don't believe in a one-size-fits-all approach to climbing. You shouldn't either. All right, we have returned with the... Can I can I call this a first annual average climber board meeting? Oh, you absolutely I, can. the fact that I used to listen to board meetings in the car and now I'm on one, I'll board meeting all the time. First annual it is. Let's do it. All right. All right. One of my favorite things about the Average Climber podcast is that you very often bring in these fucking ridiculous <laughs> fun facts about random shit that has nothing to do with anything. And we need one. Yes. Okay. I don't usually do this because I usually just like to stress Caitlin out at the beginning of every episode. Or Caitlin stress me out these, where I'm just like, well, don't know how I'm supposed to deal with that. I guess I'll transition into what we're talking about. But today, I will give you all a choice. We can either do a cultural fun fact or an animal fun fact. Anybody have a vote? I mean, I like animals. Me yeah, too. Okay. I'm voting animal. Animal Excellent. fun fact. This one's a little creepy, but get ready. Okay. <laughs> Too much culture these so, days. I suspected it was going to be yes. creepy for some reason. So, fun fact. There is a breed of cave salamander, and they are blind. They live in caves, and they have done research to show that these cave salamanders can remain completely motionless for up to seven years. <laughs> And then that was one specimen. Another specimen moved a total of 32 feet in a decade. Wow. And they're blind, which I think is creepy. And I'm pretty sure they're called Olms, O-L-M-S, which I also hate. Which I, That's kind of a terrible name. <laughs> it really for such is. A, for a creature that does such an interesting thing. I know. Do they do that as like a metabolic response? Like how hummingbirds essentially hibernate overnight? Yeah. Because otherwise they would run out of calories. Is it similar Wait, to that? Well, can we can we step into that? I didn't know this about hummingbirds. <laughs> yeah, they operate at such a high like base caloric rate that when they go to sleep, they are essentially hibernating. What, like, Caitlin? Is that how people work, or is that different? <laughs> uh, well, that just proves my point. Eat more during your day, yeah. so you recover <laughs> hummingbird energy, so you don't, don't become have to a salamander. Yeah, yeah, in a cave can't called move an for a decade. I don't hope everyone an just enjoyed how I don't know the answer to Nate's question. <laughs> So I changed the subject. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, back up because I didn't even know there were such a thing as cave salamanders. That you could have ended there, and I'd be like, "Wow, cave salamanders! What a time!" Also, I truly feel that this fun fact that I've brought here to the board meeting today is very on brand because if you look them up, you're like, "These are ghost animals. They are pale white. They can't see anything, and Mm. they do creepy shit." So. It sounds like boulders. Yeah. <laughs> Ghostly, white, pale cave salamanders. Ooh, Hasn't just, done a move in seven years. Hasn't seen the sun in their entire climbing career. Oh my God, They've look. gone 32 feet in a decade. Oh, wow. That is weird. Yeah, I don't. Whoa. This is what nightmares are made of. That doesn't look like a real animal. No, it no. looks like a 
It looks like a what is it? Wait, are those only two legs on it? What's going on? (laughs) This looks like a modified snake without eyes. Just campuses everything. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, look at this one. It's smiling at you. That one's fucking cute. That one's kind (laughs) of cute. We could put a that's like stickerable. That is definitely stickerable. That's the next average climber podcast sticker. I know. Oh yeah, there's a cave salamander. Apparently, there's another one called an axolotl. And they're very similar to an ulm. Oh. And now the more you know. There you go. (laughs) This this podcast, our fun facts will make you vaguely more interesting at parties. So, Or I like to think this is how I deal with feeling awkward at parties. I'm just like, oh, do you want to know something stupid and useless? And everyone's like, I got to go. I'm like, I'm sorry you didn't want to yell about aliens this evening. My apologies. I got to. All right. Good thing I already have friends, so. Uh. <laughs> All right, Nate, what's our next way that people are keeping themselves motionless for <laughs> seven years? Um, conveniently, mine's actually coordination. Mm. Ooh, wow. Um, it's a word that I'm trying to use a little bit more. I just learned what it means. <laughs> I'm just trying to sneak it in it's now. Word. It's really... not to me in my head. I'm just like, oh, it's where you got to slap a bunch of holds before you get to the next thing. <laughs> at least that seems the like the thing. the brand of coordination at this point mm. on Instagram, at least. So please enlighten us because I think that needs fixed. <laughs> yeah, there's you know there's this phrase that's used now like coordination climbing, which people typically mean dynamic, like you're moving consistently, like paddle dinos, things like that. But it's such a good word that I'm taking it back. Reclaim it. Um, so we talk about skills. We talk about movement, um, the ability to move well, technique. And there are all these kind of very vague phrases. Um, and the thing is, like, our bodies are incredible. They can move in so many different ways. And there's so much to it. Um, and especially, like, working with adults, this is one of my favorite things, is everyone brings in their own unique situation. So for instance, I was a distance runner before I started climbing. And I see this in other distance runners and a lot of like soccer players is that when they use their legs, they don't drive through their hips very much. They're really knee dominant. Like they pull, Mm -hmm. they grab and pull with their like calves and hamstrings, essentially. Like they're all very much like a lower leg versus, I mean, you ever work with a power lifter? Like they just hinge for everything. Everything looks like they're Mm -hmm. just standing up the top half of a deadlift. Um, And this is just, I mean, we're just talking about a single plane of movement, like straightforward, like, and how you use your legs, but there's so much that we can do. Like every time you grab a hold, you can put any direction of force into it that you want. Like you can pull it out away from the wall. You can leverage it. Like you're trying to snap it off the wall. You can push it up. You can pull it down left, right, all these things. And you do that with every single limb and there's different timings. Like we naturally want to time all our limbs together. So if I'm doing a big move, I'm going to try and pull with my right arm while driving with the left leg at the same time that I push off of my right leg. It's all one motion. But the thing is not every move Mm -hmm. asks that we use every limb at the exact same time. Right. right. Um, There's just so much that goes into every type of movement. Uh, And I think it's incredible. Like, it's one of the reasons why I love working with people in person is I get to watch this and pay attention. And, you know, I just the other day I was working with someone, he's been climbing about a decade, 513 climber, like strong boulder. And he doesn't use what I call team hands. Like he doesn't use both hands together at the same time. Mm -hmm. So if he goes to do a big pull through, he's good at generating momentum. He'll drive through his legs, but let's say if his right hand's high and he's going to reach with the left, he essentially 
loads his right arm to get into position because that pulls him over like into a good center balance. But he kind of hovers his low hand before he starts to go for the next move. And immediately I was like, hey, start pushing off that low hand. Like do that for every move. And he was like, oh, I'm just now doing harder moves. Like every big move feels smaller. And this is one tiny thing from someone who he has a massive athletic background. Like this guy was a collegiate athlete, very athletic, very coordinated, but it was just one small thing. Mm. And I see this with every single person I work with. Like I don't know anyone who doesn't have gaps, which makes sense. Like there's so much that we can do in the way that we move, the way that we climb, that we're gonna have, like we play to our strengths. You know, if you're good at twisting, you're gonna figure out how to twist every move you can. Yeah, exactly. Um, like that's just how we do things. And fortunately, climbing is super accessible to a lot of different styles. So all four of us could climb the same V6, four different ways, four different movement patterns. Even if we use the same hand and foot beta, our, we will move our bodies. Mm-hmm. We will coordinate them differently. We'll have different amounts of attribution between every limb, how much power we're putting in, the timing of how much momentum, static, all these things. And that's really cool. But I do think that there are more successful ways to do things and a lot of us miss that yeah i think you know if we look at any two athletes in in different sports they're both highly coordinated you know maybe it's a a gymnast and a sprinter super athletic super coordinated but neither of them are going to be well coordinated in the opposite sport yeah they're they're going to look like a sprinter trying to do gymnastics, you know? <laughs> yeah. And Bless their hearts. <laughs> and I think that that should tell us that, you know, if we're telling ourselves this story, like Lauren talked about, of I'm a crimp climber, then we also don't have the coordination of a sloper climber, of a compression climber, of a friction climber. Um, because we haven't worked on it. We haven't built it just like a sprinter hasn't built the same coordination as a gymnast and vice versa. Um, you know, I, I love the, you know, when we started this, you mentioned this is what coordination climbing, um, seems like in the zeitgeist, Lauren. Yeah. I love that shit. I think, I think pushing yourself into a coordination pattern that feels awkward to you is just building up this library of how you coordinate different limbs to do different things or, you know, different um, muscle activation patterns if you want to go that deep or whatever it is, you're learning how to move your body in new ways. And we shouldn't just be limiting ourselves to pull, reach, pull, reach. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to go off your example of crimps versus compression, you know, one of the things that really sparked my interest in this idea was two winters ago, so this was winter of 2019, I was out in horse pens and end of the day, I was running some laps on boulders. I went over and I climbed millipede and it was really, I like how you just did that all casual. I just went over and climbed millipede. millipede. I did it really casually. <laughs> yes. You weren't there, but you know, I don't know. How you, but yeah, so I went, I did millipede very casually. Um, <laughs> Business casual. I was wearing a button. <laughs> but it was really, it was really cool because at that time, it was when I was training iron crosses a lot. And millipede is known for being a hard compression boulder. There's centipede, bumboy, millipede. And what's funny is I got on it and I was like, oh, I don't have to compress. 
like all it is is it's just a mantle from an iron cross position. Like I didn't have to squeeze those holds together more than maybe 10 pounds of force just like to add a little friction. It's a slab. You stand on your feet and it was just a wide mantle and it's never felt so easy. And I was like, wait, is that, I was like, is that real or is that just I'm playing my strengths? And what was fascinating was there was a guy there trying it and he would get into kind of the middle of the crux and he would be squeezing so physically hard. He was trying to just rip these two slopers in together. Mm. Like, and he like didn't have a shirt on and you could see his chest and his whole like torso turning bright red from trying to just squeeze this as hard as possible. He didn't move upwards. Like, cause he's trying to like squeeze and he's putting, he put so much more force into that rock than I ever did, mm. but he didn't go anywhere because he was putting force in the wrong direction. Yeah. Like he saw compression. He's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to squeeze this thing good. <laughs> and he did just didn't go anywhere. And then we like had a conversation about it. I was like, Hey, like, would you be open to trying this? And you know, he was like, Oh, it's like, that's weird. That doesn't climb how I thought it should. Yeah. But yeah, that's every move we do. There are good paths of pulling, of driving, of twisting, pushing all these different things. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why all of the best climbers travel widely and climb a bunch of different styles and, you know, they, it's not just adaptability. Part of that adaptability is that they, they're gaining these massive coordination libraries yeah. of how to move in different situations and they can pull on those when they need to. Yeah. You know, um, Matt Foltz has talked about how one of the biggest breakthroughs in his climbing was he went to South Africa and climbed around a bunch of better climbers. Um, and I think Jimmy Webb was one of the main ones that he brought up and he was like, I didn't know that these, I just thought these climbers were stronger than me. Mm. I just assumed they were so much stronger than I was. But then I realized they pay so much attention to everything. Like which arm, which leg are they pulling with? Like which, to the centimeter, where are their hips? Where's their chest? Are they arching their upper back? All these different things. And it blew him away. And he was like, oh, this is, this is what I'm missing. It's not, I mean, cause Matt Fultz has been strong forever. Um, you know, and he's, definitely only getting stronger and climbing harder, but it was this attention to detail mm -hmm. that for him, he felt was the missing piece. Hmm. I like that more so than just calling it blanket technique, calling it coordination. Yeah. To that's me, a terrible word. Yeah. Cause technique to me is so limiting because I felt like, you know, if I go up to a compression climb, that's historically a hard compression, I look at it and go, well, I'm not going to be able to do that the same way that someone a different size, style, climber, level, whatever. Um, and so I I think the word technique, when someone's like, oh, you just have to practice your compressions, that's so limiting to me because I feel like I've just climbed so differently. Everybody climbs differently, but having the coordination aspect and leaning into maybe the little tweaks versus, oh, well, you just have to get better at X, Y, Z. I feel like is more, there's a lot of expansion opportunities there as you're training. It, it feels, I feel very aligned. It resonates. Cool. <laughs> I feel very aligned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, technique's such a vague word, but also it's loaded. Mm -hmm. Like we think technique and, you know, if I'm like, oh, Chris, you've got bad technique. Like what, what is that? Like, no one's going to be responsive rude. to that. But if I'm like, Hey, <laughs> you can really, you really love to drive on the inside of your foot. You love squeezy feet. You really compress with your legs. What if we could 
get you to default to using the outside edge a little more and driving rather than always compressing and drawing holds into you. That's so much more helpful than saying yeah. you you got some shit footwork. You know, yeah. your technique's not good. My friend Justin and I on the drives to the red, we used to like rank all the climbers we knew. And we had all these categories that we would rank them in on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> and we we got to the specific woman that we'd both climbed with for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, what's her ranking and technique? And Justin was like, oh, nine. And I'm like, two. <laughs> uh. And he's like, why? And I'm like, well, I understand what you're saying. Like, she looks like a ballet dancer when she climbs. Yes. But that's her only trick. She's one aspect. That's all she's got. You know, all, there are all these other movement patterns. There's compression. There's getting aggressive. There's being able to jump. There's all of these other things. And she has zero in all of those, mm. you know? And I think technique, whenever we say that, we think, like pretty dancing type of movement. Yeah. And or that there's like a good or bad version of it. Like to right. me, it feels less like there's good technique and bad technique and more like there is Effective. limited skill set and really broad skill set. Like, mm. you know, to your point, I think when newer climbers are starting to figure things out, like you'll have some things that you can do really well and it's less about stopping doing things like quote poorly and more about adding a skill on instead because mm-hmm. yeah i think some people are like oh i only climb i can't climb dynamically like i'm only like they'll just be i feel like there's certain types of skills or types of way of of moving that are elevated versus others in terms of the quote right way to do it versus yeah hey wouldn't it be good if you were x if you were good at all of these things or if you had a skill set for all of these things so that you had options especially when people talk about grip types. I don't want to get too much into hangboarding, but I have people that will just be like, I'm only an open grip climber. Half crimping seems useless to me. And I'm like, "Yeah, that's yeah. a wild way to operate, man. <laughs> I'm always like, wouldn't it be good if you could that's use a, a bunch of them? And you, I don't know. Anyways, end tangent. But I think, yeah, having more specific words, a technique, it's just... Like it's a valid word, but at the same time, I think I usually like to say skills more, but it's so hard. Yeah, you kind of like to have one blank and skills also, I feel like can encompass like your ability to remember a rock climb or your ability yeah. to read roots or it makes your you ability. You think of soft skills a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. So I think, you know, I think it's important. It's one of those things that we, yeah, I think we don't use good words for it. Um, yeah. And I think it holds people back, you know? Yeah. I agree. Caitlin, what you got? This one's a bit of a, I guess, broad, but it gets more specific. Um, And I think there's a lot of overlap that y'all have probably also experienced, but that is comparisons. Mm. I think comparisons are really holding climbers back. And from my perspective, comparing diets. So like, okay, um, let's give the example. Alex Magos eats a plant-based diet because he had meat sweats before. So other people- I love that so much. (laughs) Like the first time I read that, I was like, I'm sorry. Uh, Did you really just say that you sweat too much in competition in your hands so you stopped eating meat? Yeah, yeah. It's (laughs) like X plus- Two plus four equals meat sweats. Got it. Okay. He's good at jumping to holds and conclusions. Yep. Yep. So I think people hear that and I like to give the analogy of a telephone tag because somebody hears that 
and they automatically assume, oh, well, meat's bad then. Okay, yeah. we're cutting that out completely. Or somehow it gets lost in translation. And it kind of comes into not only comparing to what others are doing, but when you try it, say, for example, so-and-so is doing a keto diet. And so you think, oh, well, they're an athlete I admire or... I like to listen to occasionally and therefore I'm going to do the same thing and expect the same results. But it's really hard to just assume that, hey, I'm going to get on the same bandwagon and have the same outcome. So when you feel like, well, it's not working for me, people don't think that way. They think I failed. Something is wrong with me. It's a like I am morally corrupt and I can't do the, I can't eat this way and stick to a diet. So there's a sense of that shame. And we're also not only, you know, going into things blindly, but we're not finding things that feel good for us along the way and also cherry picking things as it comes out. So if you search, let's say, I'll give the vegan example. If you Google what's good about veganism, you are going to find those answers. Of if course. You, yeah. If you search what's bad about veganism, you'll find those answers. And I think people see that as an absolute reason to try something. And again, when it they compare to others, oh, well, they're so successful on it. Why do I suck and I can't do it? It's more of a reflection on what's wrong with them versus the the strategy. Yeah, I, I see the comparison trap mm-hmm. all the damn time mm-hmm. and climbing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a rough one for sure. And I'll I'll expand this, you know, this point by saying it, it can backfire on you if you start worrying too much about people comparing to you. Like if you're mm-hmm. if you're a good climber and I've seen several people do this, hold themselves back from trying things because they're worried about how this other person's going to feel because everybody's comparing to everybody. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it's such a, such a strange um, dynamic that can really hurt you, hurt your performance, hurt your mental health even. When you're yeah. constantly comparing yourself to everybody else. Like, I yeah. don't know where we all landed, where we have to gaslight ourselves all the time. Yeah. Or we're just like, yeah. oh, I'm not valid. I don't have opinions that are real. It's really bizarre. I used to climb with a guy who really talented and you know, just a, a really good rock climber. But every single person who came to the crag, um, because I'd been at, you know, climbing in this area for a lot longer, and knew a lot of the people, every single person that came to the crag, the first question was, how hard do they climb? And I'm like, <laughs> I've, I've seen what happens when I tell you. <laughs> if I tell you that person climbs 14 plus, you're not going to climb around them Ooh. because you're afraid of what they think of you. Yep. You know, so I'm not, I'm not even answering your fucking questions. <laughs> like worry about yourself. <laughs> and it can be, I, I this I've seen this with a lot of women. I know I'm totally generalizing, but I I climb with a lot of women partners, mm-hmm. so that's what I see when they've got a project in mind and they roll up to the crag and there's another woman climbing on their project. They get even more nervous to get on it sometimes mm-hmm. to the point of I'm not getting on it at all. Yeah. Whereas if it was dudes, they would get on it just fine. Mm-hmm. That that comparison trap can really hold you back. 
Absolutely. I mean, I know I've experienced that. It's like, I don't look like A, I don't climb like B and I'm, I mean, I very rarely look at another guy climbing and go, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm my body's different than his. So whatever. So it's right. It's, it's a lot easier for me to conceptualize and say like, well, I'm obviously a different climber than that person. But Mm -hmm. if there's a, on the shorter side gal who has smaller hands and they sort of climb like me, it it becomes a weird comparison. Like, well, they can do it. Why can't I? And that's not a fair comparison at all. Or even like with body image struggles as well. I've definitely climbed on projects where it seems like someone who's, you know, just like similar height to me or whatever, but is clearly just like a lot smaller of a human being. And then it's like, they're getting closer to sending and I'm not. And then you're comparing yourself and you're like, oh, it's cause I'm whatever, like mm-hmm. this is why. And it can be really, you know, harmful. And it's not like a fun place to be in. Yeah, comparison is big, big bummer sometimes. And just like not productive. And I understand why our brains do it. You know, we're trying to look, sure. we're trying to make things make sense. And our brains are constantly trying to do that. But sometimes it's, pretty not cool what our (laughs) brains are doing up there so yeah and i think it's worth saying that you know everybody gets motivated differently and there is some healthy competition there there are times when comparing yourself to other people can be really valuable for you Mm -hmm. um but i think it's up to you to recognize whether you're in that valuable space or this is holding you back and it's holding you back it's it's time to think about changing that not paying so much attention you know in my in my book the hard truth i i talked about a story of working on trans world depravity in the red and at the time i knew everybody who was climbing on the thing and this you know rosy cheeked little kid comes walking (laughs) up and he's like you know do you mind if i try and i'm like I just came off, so I'm going to need a long rest anyway. Sure, go ahead. You're going to be up there for two hours, you know? <laughs> and then he just fucking walked it, mm. you know? On-sighted it as part of his warm-up. And that was Alex Magos. <laughs> Obviously oh didn't have meat sweats that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a you know? rare day, I guess. <laughs> and we didn't know who Alex Magos was at the time. But I'm, I immediately was comparing myself to this kid, mm-hmm. you know? So it's... It's just a dangerous place to be. Just wait and see, I think, is the better option. You know, learn, learn what you can. Take that away. And that's it. Yeah. The comparison dance is kind of brutal. I, I feel like I try to get at this point when I go to different crags and I see other, other climbers on something I might want to get onto. It's at, at this point, I'm like, well, if I'm going to use comparison in this point in time you know they look like they're having a fun time on it i wonder if they could give me some pointers so it's maybe it's the perspective change or just realizing that i don't know you're still a different athlete but i yeah i don't know it's kind of like what you said people comparing even to you that also doesn't feel great because you're like well no you are a different climber you can do things differently right so it goes it definitely goes both ways yeah and there are days where i'm like you know if if i if i walk up to a crag and there's somebody struggling on this thing that i've done a hundred times you mm-hmm. know they're they're in the beginning of their climbing journey they could turn out to be an alex magos i have no idea yeah um but 
it makes me second guess. Do I get on my usual warm up that mm-hmm. they're projecting? Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. And but I've had enough experiences at this point to know that, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's up to them. I, you know, I'm not going to put it in their face. Like, did you see that shit? You know? Yeah. Look at me. I've been on it a thousand times. Yeah. But I've had the experience of actually the day I sent Transworld, there was an 11B, I think, there that I warmed up on a lot. And I mm-hmm. would like climb it up and then back down. And then I would speed climb it really fast, mm-hmm. you know, and just to get myself into the mindset I needed to be in. And there was somebody there that day projecting that route. And he was like, that was really cool watching you do that. Like I, I just never it opened my eyes, gave me a new perspective on what can be done on these kinds of things. And, you know, and if I hadn't watched Alex Magos and gotten that same perspective myself, you know, it, it could have been, oh, this, I don't want to hold this person back by doing this thing right in front of them. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think it's, it is tricky to navigate that. I've, I've definitely had that experience where my warm up is something that I know someone's struggling on. It's like, oh, I'm just going to let them, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll just do something else. But then in actuality, you're also dismissing the fact that, you know, you've been in their shoes. You've already been there. You're at a, a different part than they are at this point. So it also discredits their process and the process that you've also had in the past. Yeah. You, just, you don't have to be a dick about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And you can always just say, look, I'm going to be struggling on this thing over here just the same so. mm-hmm. like we're all gonna be grunting and cussing and we'll just be on different rocks but one of yeah. my favorite things to do when we're kind of when I talk about this with athletes is you know people are always like I'm so worried about you know what if I like look stupid on whatever hard thing I'm trying and then I always ask them when you see someone else trying and failing on something that seems hard for them what mm-hmm. are what are you thinking about and then they give mm-hmm. me this blank stare and they're like uh yeah. I'm kind of not thinking about it. <laughs> That's usually yeah, exactly. the answer I get. It's either I didn't even think to think about it or, oh, it just looks like they're trying hard and then I move on because I'm worried about what I'm eating for lunch. And it's always funny because it's everyone's, everyone's so worried about what other people think of them. And then when you get down to it, you're like, probably no one thinks anything actually. We have our own problems to deal with. Yeah, nobody yeah. cares so, about you. <laughs> yeah, like in the best way, nobody cares. Yeah, so exactly. Go mm-hmm. chuff. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And if someone does tell you that they care, you're like, you're going to therapy. You're, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to calm down. Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. So, or if they give you unsolicited comments, you can be like, that's their problem to yeah, deal with. You can go, I'm not the problem. I'm not, not my circus, problem. not my monkeys. No, yeah, precisely. So, yeah, people are fascinating. But that always, whenever I'm also getting in that zone, I'm like, do you think anyone actually cares what you're doing? It's like, oh, probably not. I'll just keep rock climbing, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, uh, some years ago I was climbing in Waco tanks and just climbing with a buddy and we were over by Mexican chicken, classic V6 roof, kind of boulder, kind of tough. Mm-hmm. Um, we're maybe, I don't know, 150 feet away. We're just like hanging out, I think maybe like eating lunch or something. And we see this guy walk around the corner from uh, barefoot on sacred ground. And he's like carrying a crash pad, sort of half draped over his back in an awkward way. He's wearing Evolve Defies, so like flat shoes. Mm. He's got tie-dye pajama pants and like a <laughs> torn-up shirt. And he's just kind of like gangly, <laughs> bopping his way over and looks up at Mexican chicken, drops his pad just randomly, and is like sort of staring at the hold so you can clearly tell he hasn't been on it before. 
And I'm like, oh God, do I need to sprint over and spot this guy here in a second? We'll see. He goes to pull on, goes to pull on and immediately puts a back heel mm. for the first move. And I was like, oh, I was like, I'm either about to see someone crack their skull open or I'm about to have an exhibition in front of the most, <laughs> the most inelegant technique there is. This man floated this boulder. Yeah. just oh, wow. incredible his first day ever in Waco had just landed I think from Australia had gone on I think to do like six six v10s that day but it was funny he just floats this thing masterfully and the guy next to me my buddy was like you know what I uh try not to compare myself to other people very often or judge because you know what that's what happens when I do I saw him <laughs> and I was just like wow uh you know he's got quite the get up kind of dragging his pad <laughs> across rocks and you know We'll see how this goes. And he just climbed that a thousand times better than I ever will. Yep. <laughs> wow. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So it was pretty great. It was still very funny. <laughs> yeah. That is a real thing. Yeah. Lauren, what you got? All right. So this one, this one might get under someone's skin, but it's good for you. If it does, <laughs> it's probably you that needs to hear it. So you don't actually know how to try hard. Mm. Um, and I think this one I've, it's funny. I had an athlete recently. She told me she was like, this is my limit boulder. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, you're going to send this in two sessions. You could have sent that right now, but it's one of the hardest things she's ever tried on the kilter board. Right. Yeah. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, you're very close. And she's like, I just really can't reach that hold. And I'm watching it. And I'm like, you're not, you are not completely trying hard. And it's, it's hard because I think teaching someone to learn what 110% effort on a hard sequence is a definitely like, it's a difficult thing to do as a coach. And there's definitely, you know, different drills and different ways to shape, shape a session to make it happen. But I really think this is something that holds people back. And I think to me, one of the best ways to figure out if you're actually trying really hard is to watch a video of yourself. Cause there's been so many times where I'm like, I am wailing on this thing. It's just really difficult. Like, it'll take me forever to be able to hit this next hold. Like, this is just what it is. This will just have to be a gigantic process. And then I'll take a video, watch it, and I'm like, you looked like you were trying two out of 10 on that. Like, yeah. it might feel awkward. This is the thing. It might feel awkward or like you can't explode out of something. I'm also working on more scrunching at the moment. So it's things like that where I watch it. I'm like, but you didn't really try. So I think that's probably my biggest tip. If you don't actually know if you're trying hard, like watch a video and see if you actually are. Chris, yeah. do you have any? Yeah. Tell me your thoughts on this. I think, I mean, I think what you just said is sort of combining almost everything that's been said already, because you can't get to a hundred percent physical effort until you're, you've dealt with the yeah. Story you tell yourself, the coordination that you have, have you fueled properly? All of these things need to be in place before you can even actually give 100% physical effort. Yeah. Um, so when you're setting up for this scrunchy move, you're like, oh my God, I f this looks stupid. Somebody out there's watching me. I look incredibly awkward. You know, you don't quite understand the coordination, whatever. There's all these things tied into that. And it may feel like you gave it all, but when you objectively look at it, it's two out of 10. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, that's a good, that's a good thing to bring up too, is like if you're comparing yourself or you feel like you look silly or if you're really afraid in whatever yeah, situation you're exactly. in, of course, it's going to be limiting your ability to give it your all. Because honestly, at this point where I'm at in my climbing, like usually I make really, um, 
upsetting noises when I'm trying really hard. <laughs> and, and, but, and like I used to care and now I'm just at the top of the climbing gym in the front and I'm like, rah, or probably better than that. Is that the noise you make while you're climbing? No, I rah, wish. They'd be like, is I'm that a dinosaur? dinosaur? <laughs> 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 That'd be fun. Maybe someday. If there's a jug, maybe I'll start going like, I don't know. Uh, I expect dinosaur noises when we go bouldering Wednesday yeah, morning. Exactly. So <clears throat> I'll I'll bring it out. But I think like if I was embarrassed about needing to try that hard or like whatever it may be that I would not be able to give it my full effort. Or I make, you know, on the kettlebell, like tss, they always yeah. teach you like breathe out. Tss. There's there's a period after I've been using kettlebells a lot where everything was tss, 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 <laughs> in my climbing all the time. And I was like, whatever. This is what this is what tension looks like right now, and I'm going tss. So <laughs> Gauge your core, everyone. But yeah, I, I like to talk about like try hard in terms of uh, two different types of effort. So intensive effort and extensive effort. Mm -hmm. And I often see that people who are good at one are not good at the other. Interesting. You know, so if you're listening and you're that person who is really good at giving 100% to a move, are you good at continuing to? just lunge and latch holds yeah. when you're pumped, when you're tired, when yep. you're fatigued. Have you ever been in that situation where you thought you were going to fall for 20 moves in a row, but you didn't, you know, those. So I, I need both ends of that spectrum to be paid mm -hmm. attention to as well. And I think a lot of people, there are very few people who can do both. And both simultaneously. Yeah, or like mm -hmm. you might get really good at one because in your training cycle or however you're, whatever climbing style you're engaging in, you're like, oh, excellent at giving like really hard effort for a limited exactly. amount of time, but you lose your ability to focus for a long time. And I also think focus goes into that because being able to try hard means that your mental space, there's no energy yeah. leaking anywhere else. But if your energy is leaking to fear, comparing yourself to others, general life stress, like all yeah. these things, like you're not going to be able to you know, give it that maximum focus and effort for a short amount of time or a long amount of time. Yeah. I think I'm a good example of like, I used to be really good at extensive effort, mm. terrible at intensive effort. And now that's flipped. Like I'm much better at giving intensive effort, but when I've tried to do some endurance workouts recently, I'm like, fuck this. <laughs> this hurts. I'm bored out of my mind. I don't want to keep going and I don't have to. <laughs> I so, used to I'm love power endurance workouts. It's so weird. I think about the days where I'm like, I can't wait till it's the power endurance part of this cycle. And now I'm like, oh God, I'm going to puke. Not boulders on the minute again, Blake. This is going to kill me. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll get that back someday. But yeah, endurance workouts, if you're doing them right, they kind of suck. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's a really good one. Trying hard is hard. Yeah. It is. And it helps, I think, being around other people who do try hard. Totally. And both mm -hmm. sides. I mean, climbing at the red, like once again, you go and you see someone who's just gutting it out for the last 10 moves of a route and they get up to the anchors. They're too pumped to clip. Maybe they have the bolt below them skipped and they just sit and shake for the next five minutes <laughs> to get enough to get one quick draw clipped. And you're like, oh, yeah. Oh. I don't do, I don't do that. Like, you can, I'm pumped. Take. <laughs> exactly. Like so often people will, you know, they start getting pumped and they just slow down, they stop and they'll like, you know, they'll let go or maybe they like slap the next hold if they're really trying to be practiced about it. But, you know, they're like, oh, I mean, I couldn't have kept going if I wanted to. It's like, well, you yeah. don't know that. Yeah. Like you only know if you try, like actually try and go for it. It's really mm -hmm. fun to watch someone when you're like, it's been straight up two minutes and I thought you were going to eat shit this whole time and you're still going and now you're at the anchor. Like yeah. it's a blast. 
Yeah. It's good to get in that zone. It's also mentally difficult to be able to like be in that zone That's all exhausting. the time. So even if like even mm. if you have days where you're like, yep, today is the day where that my try hard is less available than normal, like don't beat yourself up about it. It's not bad to not I don't think it's reasonable to think you're able to give a hundred and fifty percent all the time, like you're a human being. But learning how to do it more often is obviously going to behoove you greatly as yeah. a climber. Yeah. I think it's just as mentally exhausting giving yeah. intensive effort. Yeah. As well. You yeah. Know, you really mm-hmm. have to get yourself into a space that's, you know, that you can't physically keep up for more than, you know, eight to 12 seconds or something. Eyes mm. closed, everything flexed. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> fucking hard place to get to and to be. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a good limit bouldering session, like oftentimes I'll have to end it because I'm just mentally drained. Like I can't summon up that much effort anymore. Yeah. Like it'd be, you know, when people are like, oh yeah, I'll go do two hours of limit bouldering. It's like, well, that's, that ain't it. Like there's no such thing as two hours of limit bouldering. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe if you're taking like 10 minute breaks between goes, yeah. eating snacks and somehow staying warm. I don't know, but that sounds awful. Yeah. Like, like once you pass the like 40 minute mark, you're <laughs> probably going downhill. Yeah. Yeah. It takes so much energy and concentration to really summon that type of effort um, and to do it well to where it's not just like, you know, you're just trying to explode at the wall. You're still trying to move well. You're still trying to, you know, be coordinated, be focused, but not be, not try so hard that you're like blasting yourself off the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, one other thing I'll say about trying hard, and you had mentioned this earlier, Lauren, is that there are a few things that get me more excited than watching other people try hard. Fuck yeah. Man. I don't, yeah. I don't give a shit what you're climbing on. You can be on V3. If you are like mm. neck snapping back on every move, trying hard, I am here cheering for you. Yeah. If you want cheering. But <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, nothing gets me more amped than seeing people get mm. after it, regardless of the grade. Yeah. I mean, whenever I hear somebody talk about trying hard and as soon as you said neck snapping back, I don't think of Yanya, I think of Dahlia. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just just these these people who give the maximum effort to everything that they do. You know, she's terrible at remembering beta, yes. but she gives her all to her wrong beta. Oh my goodness, yeah. You know, I that gets me so psyched watching someone like that climb. She snaps a banana every time. Every time. <laughs> whole, whole case of bananas. And lets me know that I've got a long way to go. Like, yeah. I can I could stand there and be like, and I have, stand there and be like, wow, you're terrible at remembering beta. I'm way better at this than you. <laughs> but in reality, I have to go, wow, I don't, I don't know if I've ever tried as hard at anything as you just did at your wrong beta. At that double drop knee drive-by move you just did. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know two so. knees could point in the same direction <laughs> at each other like that. And man, your eyes were closed and you were getting after it. Yeah. In, in Waco once, one of the first times I ever climbed with Dahlia, we, she was trying this boulder and I'm like, Dahlia, you're, you're trying something different every single time. Let's, let's talk through this, you know? I'm like, here's what you did. Here's what you did. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. That's yeah, yeah. And then she jumped on and didn't touch any of the holds. <laughs> I wish but I was strong enough to double down on wrong beta like that. That yeah. sounds awesome. She's got like built-in ammonia capsules, like what lifters <laughs> use to wrap themselves up. There's just something. She just flips the switch. And she's like, all right. It's on. Ready. Bullsey's red. Amazing. <laughs> Bullsey's red. I fucking red. love it. We oh. love you, Dahlia. Thank you very much. All right, last for me is, you know, uh, 
history and romanticizing the climbs, mm. romanticizing mm. boulders, romanticizing Ooh. roots. Um, it's it's our fault as climbers, but you know. So I'm not blaming guidebook authors or people writing the stories, but the more colorful the language about a root or a boulder the more intimidated we get by it very often. Mm -hmm. And I'll see, I'll hear from clients all the time who I'm like, oh, you know what you should try? You know, after you finish up this project, go do this thing. And then they'll be like, well, I read on redriverclimbing.com <laughs> that this bolt was really hard to clip and it's scary. And I'm like, who... Have you tried it? Yeah. How do you know it's scary? Have you ever been less scared than another person? Yes, you have. Have you ever been more scared than another person? Yes, you have. <laughs> then you can't take exactly what all these people say. Just because someone wrote that it's scary or that it's, you know, so hard right here, it's almost impossible, doesn't mean that holds true for you. But we tend to romanticize this shit and... I see so many people not try things because of that, that it drives me out of my fucking mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really big one. Um, you know, I've climbed in rifle a decent bit and I think that place has this happen more than almost anywhere I've ever been. Like, Oh, don't get on 12 D's They're You, you know, yeah. these are all the super hard 12 D's they are essentially 13 a, all these things like and everything just has this lore about it like yeah. every rock climb and it makes sense everyone projects things for a long time so and there's no cell phone service so you have to talk to people so you got to find something to talk about so you talk about how hard your project is <laughs> um, but it man it's funny the very first time i went there i didn't really know anyone in the canyon and i had just had a finger injury i was like i'm just gonna go do a bunch of 512s this will be a lot of fun and it's funny because i went through i think i maybe did like i don't know 35 or something on this little trip and I started talking with people and they're like, oh, oh, you did that 12, that 12 B is as hard as any 12 D. And I was like, well, I'm glad you know. didn't tell me this. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have like probably tried it. Like on half the things, like everyone's like, oh, I mean, you know, this is so hard and this is so hard and all this. And it's like, well, I think you're, you're making it out to be hard and you build this up in your head. Like, exactly. And yeah. yeah, it's crazy. Like you can't talk about a single route there without someone just talking about some story of why, mm. you know, they built, put these expectations on it. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel about classics. Like, <laughs> Caitlin yes. is a yeah. route classics. and boulder hipster. I <laughs> you know, we, we might share this actually. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> I started my climbing career, so to speak, in Waco Tanks and all the classics. Everybody's like, oh, you have to get on it. It's benchmark V5. It's so good. And it pissed me off because even <laughs> though I felt like I should feel comfortable on a grade, I know it's subjective. That's a whole other thing, but you should at least feel comfortable trying a thing. Right. But when a classic felt not awesome and it wasn't as great as everybody had hyped it up to be, I started to feel this like inward sense of failure where I was like, mm. well, then if I can't do a classic that's benchmark, you know, what am I doing? And, and I always like the, the, you know, climb next door. That's like pretty good, but never talked about. And yeah. 
Everybody's like, oh, that's just a junk show. It's Choss Pile. And I'm like, well, I I thought it was excellent because I had a lot of fun on it and it worked better for me. So It's totally okay to be wrong, Caitlin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wrong about classics. <laughs> no, I, I share this exact same feeling. Mm. Big fan of One Star Wednesdays, Zero yes. Star Sundays. Yep. yep. Like, there were so many amazing climbs that people overlook because they're, they believe the story. They're like, oh, oh, I need to go do this. And this is another thing I have with clients too. I'm sure y'all experience it in the sense that they'll be like, well, I want to go do this one rock climb because it's the rock climb you do for this grade. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, there's these four others. I think you'll actually enjoy them more. They're going to have a smaller crowd. You're not going to have a huge line. Also, they're going to fit you better. Frankly, I think they're more fun. They're not as polished. All these things are like, but this is the one. I'm uh-huh. like, yeah, but maybe just don't listen to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so fascinating to me. You know, it goes right back to the comparison idea mm-hmm. of, you know, I had a I had a client, for instance, years ago who was an excellent face climber, like just amazing at moving her body around vertical terrain. And there was a vertical route in the red that lots of dudes had tried and been like, I don't even know if there's holds left on this thing. It's impossible. <laughs> you know, it's so scary. You can't clip this bolt. And, and I went and did it and was like, Oh, I don't think it's that bad. Um, you should get on this thing. And she went up, it did all the moves very quickly. And I was like, Oh, you're, you're in position. You're going to do it next try. But she's still telling herself the stories. Oh, it's so hard. That bolt was really scary to clip. And I'm like, I just watched you clip that bolt super casually. Yeah. You're fine. But the stories are so powerful. Yeah. I kind of try to tell people, like, maybe don't look on Mountain Project. Like, if you know you're going to get in your head about something. And it's also like, is it stiff? Or did one person 10 years ago post that they thought it was stiff? And then that person read that comment, went on the climb, anticipating stiffness. And it just propagates from there. Or like similarly, I just got out of climb in Salt Lake City where everyone's like, oh my God, the fourth bolt is impossible to clip. Like you're going to have the worst time. And I went up there and I was like, um, well, maybe you're tall and the feet don't fit your box super well, but I got two perfect feet that I can stand on. And if I extend it one, it's actually pretty chill. So I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Take things with a grain of salt, I guess, and actually examine that, you know, what someone else might feel. What, one thing, this is my mountain project rant. I really wish people would say, you can have whatever opinion you want, but say, to me, it felt like this, or to me, I had this experience, because people just act like they're God and be like, this is very soft for 12D, and then just be mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm so glad you get to unilaterally decide that. It's yeah. so yeah. fascinating. I'm like, you could say, to me, it felt on, it felt like this to me, and I think it's fine to have your opinion. I think consensus is the only way we're going to have these things, but Acting like your opinion is the only one that matters is very problematic. <laughs> so maybe don't do that. Yeah, I don't know. and those those grades get they become part of the lore. Oh this, yeah, this sandbagged yeah. thing, this this twelve B that's actually twelve D, you know, and or or the sought right people. I've talked to athletes that are like. Well, I'm really excited about this rock climb, and right. I, based on it, I think it could be a really cool first 512 or whatever, but everyone says it's soft, so I don't want to get made fun of if that's my yeah. first one. And yeah. I was like, you know how that's all those, so sad. <laughs> all those people who called it soft climbed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, they've all climbed it too. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a negative thing to have climbed it. Yeah. Um, 
And it might feel soft to that person too. Who knows, you know, yeah. and who fucking cares, right. frankly. Like, if it felt hard for you and you were challenged by it and you're proud of it in the end, like, exactly. fuck them. I'll give you a high five. Exactly. So. Just yeah. go do all the rock climbs. Just, <laughs> if it looks fun and you're yeah. psyched and also, okay, so what? Maybe it is, maybe it does feel easy for you and then you get on another one that feels harder, but like, fuck, build the confidence on the one that's a little, quote, soft or whatever, and then you'll, you know, feel more like you can own the grade and move on from there. I don't know. I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My first 12B on-site was Superfly in the Red. It's now Mine, considered... It was one of my first. I don't know if it was my first, but... It's now considered just normal 12A. But the thing is, for me, <clears> I was like, oh, I on-sited 12B. And within, like, the next month, I had on-sited, like, four more, like, of the full range of the grade... Cause I was like, yeah, I can, I on site 12 B now. Yeah. That's yeah. all I needed. And it's funny now looking back that like, that wasn't even the one, but who cares? Yeah. Like when I came down, when I came down from my Superfly on site, there was a guy there who was like, well, it was harder when we did it because we were avoiding standing in this Waco. And I was like, that's your well, problem. that was stupid. Yeah. Like, oh, I hate yeah. a I hate a standing rest in the middle of yeah. my pumpy rock climb. Said no one ever. You mean the yeah. Waco Crazy. big enough to put a couch inside <laughs> that you have to like that is in the bolt line? Exactly. Like, I'm sorry, you didn't want to take your shoes off and put them back on in the middle of the rock climb, which I did on Banshee, I believe. It felt great. I was like, I can do anything in here. I can have a tea party. I've there stashed no water rules. bottles in Wacos on yeah. sport climbs. And yeah, yeah, that's the point of sport climbing. If you can do yeah. that, why would you not? I feel the same way about like knee pads and oh yeah. my god, like having them called the downgrader. I'm like, really? I mean, it's just you know, kind of full circle. We're getting to a point where we're getting smarter and more informed about climbing and what's possible. Sure, you know, maybe it makes some things less classically climbed, but I don't think that anybody who utilizes those tools should be you know, made, made to feel like they Penalized. didn't do it. Yeah. yeah it's, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, well that's not classically how it's done. I'm like, well, that, I'm bad <clears throat> at sewing and I don't want to have to sew up my pants knees all the time. So I'm using <laughs> I also like my pad. knees. And, and also maybe, I like these pants. And maybe it does change the grade of sure. it, but all that means is that all of you who did it before me did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You yeah. did it the hard way. Sorry. Get yeah. better. It's so often that people be like, well, the first ascensionist did it this way. And it's like, okay. yeah, okay. Like, yeah, I mean, that. that's cool. Like, they just didn't see things. Like, yeah. you know, it'll be like, oh, they didn't, the first ascensionist didn't use this heel hook in the middle of the boulder. It's like, it's in the middle of the boulder. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, did they not have heels? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, that's, that's their prerogative. How did like, they find climbing shoes? I, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just one of those things. Like, I don't know. It, it, I think it's silly. Yeah, we could go off average average climber board meeting part two will be ranting about all of the oh ridiculousness for days. Of, Wait, I have this one thing I really want to do where we get a bunch of helium and then we inhale helium and read stupid <laughs> mountain project comments in a goofy voice because that's the voice they deserve to be read in. Do you need helium? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because it's because it's fun, and I also like the idea of putting helium on my business expense sheet and having oh. to talk to the IRS about why I bought that. I if I ever like have to talk to them, there are some comments people have made about. I'll give this example because I think it's the most ridiculous. I've suggested that gummy bears are an excellent 
pre-climbing and during climbing snack. Well, go yes, on. they are. <laughs> yeah. This and is undebatable. I feel the same way, but people are think- very passionate against gummy bear consumption. Really? Like very passionate about it. And having helium to back it up about how ridiculous they sound saying, well, gummy bears are, they're not good and they are bad. It, I think it just adds this element Who hates of gummy bears. Anti, I call them the anti gummy extremists. <laughs> Y'all need therapy. <laughs> yes. Figure it out. Yeah. It's like all of these, you know, points <clears throat> about, well, what about added sugar and colors and whatever is in gummy bears? Red dye number 48. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like th- these really extreme thoughts that about diet culture that have merged into this snack that I'm like, yeah, but I'm not saying eat a bowl of them for breakfast. I'm saying eat them as a tool, as an asset. It's just people are, are very uh, extreme. So helium to sort of put a nail, a pin in that, I think is... Yeah, All right. Very well, I'm, necessary. I'm in then. Well, <laughs> yes. Next one we're doing with helium. Um, to wrap this up, I need to know which gummy bear do you choose? Mm. Because a lot of gummy bear fans are very fucking aggro about which gummy bear. People have is the strong best. gummy bear opinions. Oh, I I was I posted I was doing a gummy bear taste test on a road trip <laughs> once. And people were furious at my thoughts. Yeah. I, I'm a big uh, Haribo girl with yeah. sugar. Um, I also like the mountain one, green mountain. I don't remember. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm with you I'm, here. I'm not necessarily a connoisseur. I just, I really like them. Big okay. fan of, of many, many of the options out there. Me too. Mm. Me too. Nate? Uh, I prefer just sour can, uh, sour gummies. So I do mm. a, a lot of twin snakes. Okay. Ooh. Um I've got the. I do like the sour stuff. I got the Sour Patch Kids watermelon. Those, yeah. so I took those, those are to my, number took those one. To my clinic, that's my too good. Clinic. Uh, that's why I will eat a family size bag. I'll be like, why don't my taste buds work anymore? I have singed them off. <laughs> my mouth is raw from that for two hours. Do you have a gummy bear opinion? Um, I can't remember. Is it Haribo or Haribo? I say it wrong every time. And Mike's like, you say it differently than that. But I like the whichever ones. Whichever it is. Whichever it is. I like the ones that are covered in sour. But also there's this sour candy called Rips that oh, I really like. I also like this. it because I like saying rip rips. a lot. Like that rips. So I feel <laughs> like I identify <laughs> with the brand. But I'm big on rips. They also are sour and can kind of sort of light your tongue on fire. But I will at least eat them when I'm outside. So it's good. All right. I, I am also a Haribo fan. So mm. that's that's the final word on that gummy is, bears. Yeah. Consensus done. Uh, the Albanese. Nope. Not oh, happening. Yeah. Sorry about it's your luck, folks. Hate mail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hate mail. Go get yourself a Costco size bag of Haribos and <laughs> Haribos. I'll look it up. Whatever it is. Whatever whatever yeah and but and put them in the refrigerator because they're delicious Mm, that way Mm, they are all right you can find average climber podcast everywhere you get your podcast but where can folks find you lauren they can find me at goodspraycliming.com on instagram at goodspraycoaching and that's that's a good place to start awesome caitlin I would say you can primarily find me on Instagram at Dirtbag Nutritionist, and my website is CaitlinHolmes.com and also DirtbagNutrition.com. Yeah, and we'll have links to all of those 
uh, in the show notes here. Nate, where, what are you on Instagram uh, these days? At Nate Drolet. And then I'm also, if you want to work with me in person, I coach in Salt Lake at the Momentum Gyms. And you don't need to be a member to take part in that. Awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that part of it. That's, That's cool. Yeah. Uh, you can find Nate and I both at powercompanyclimbing.com. And you can find me at, at Power Company Climbing on the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the Pinterests. I, I don't, we're not on TikTok, are we, Lana? No. <laughs> <laughs> does any, does anybody here have a, a Twitter that's active? Absolutely not. Okay. One social option at a time for me. Okay. Same, same for me. I don't think so. I don't. Crux Padwell might be active. <laughs> <laughs> Can't control him. Might be active. There's there's some random person posting on the Crux Padwell <laughs> account <laughs> about Albanese gummy bears. I was about bears. to say about Albanese gummy bears. <laughs> uh, but you, however, will not find Power Company Climbing on Twitter because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. <laughs>